Hello, and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast, episode 17, The Terminator. Super 70 is a podcast meant to play along with the film we are discussing. You don't have to, though, and can go listening without watching anything. I would, however, recommend that you watch the film we are discussing before listening to the Super 70 Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and my website at www.thatdylandavis.com. I'm Dylan Davis. I will be using the 2018 Blu-ray re-release, but there is a version found on Voodoo.com for $9.99. This is the same version that came digitally if you purchased the Terminator Anthology on Blu-ray with digital downloads. If you can press play on your DVD using whatever version you have now, and on your Voodoo now, this podcast should sync with the rest of the film. For the first time on the Super 70 Podcast, I've asked a co-host to join me, and he is here, introducing Mr. Dave Anderson. Hi, how are you doing? It's a pleasure to be here. I definitely appreciate you uh, inviting me for this opportunity. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. So I first saw this movie on VHS at my cousin's house. When did you first see it? Ironically enough, it was also your cousin's house on VHS. No, I mean, I remember this pretty vividly. I don't remember precisely where, but I remember this is one of those definitions of a VHS movie in my brain, right? You have the Commando, you've got this, you've got, you know, First Blood, these things that to me are the definition of the VHS, and they just go on constant rotation back in the day. Predator's a good example, Battle Beyond the Stars, which, you know, spaceships with breasts are phenomenal. Um, There's all sorts of things like that that I remember. Laser Blast was the first one we ever owned. Laser Blast. Yeah, it's not good. Continue. The first, that's a great, the first VHS we ever owned was Star Wars. Wow. Yeah, I still Wars, have it. It's Star Wars wasn't available for years. Yeah. We had a VHS that someone had taken a Return of the Jedi that they'd videotaped within the theater that we had a copy of. Oh my so, God. So you think pan and scan is bad. This is something else. Pan and scan is shit. So yeah. yeah. This is cropped. <clears throat> yeah. So this is, um, this set is actually, I, I, looked it up this set is actually 16 feet by three feet okay that's where all the entire future thing takes place on a set that's exactly that large even the flashback we have in the future and then this this opening credit i I took this from blade runner like if you have the the opening explanation in blade runner yeah i mean which is just like two years before this i totally agree and this is one of the the title shot is one of those misleading I love the the cursor square, which we haven't seen in forty years, right? No, absolutely. Or the movie Alien, which was a few years prior. Yeah, the the title scroll is 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 one of these things that I think in the film is misleading. We talked about this before about how this is like a four and a half million dollar film, mm-hmm. and midway through production, they decided to dump another two and a half million dollars of special effects in it. None and, of it on the opening credits. Well, right, actually, but, that's not but the opening credits is 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 it's deceiving because this is a. This is a very, very high-quality B-movie that has passed itself off as like a $40 million adventure flick. Correct, yeah. It is definitely a testament to ingenuity. Right. And Cameron would never have this problem ever again. No, 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 no. No. So this is one of those films that you watch when you're a kid and you love it, and it's a man film, right? It's for men. Mm Mm-hmm. And you grow older, and you get kind of sideways about it because people say things like, well, fuck Rambo, and fuck the Terminator, and fuck hyper-masculinity, and all that anti-feminism business. And it's all because of Reagan and all of that 
man bullshit. Like Reagan is the cause of all of our problems in the eighties. Okay. From well, a societal standpoint or a popular society perspective, I presume. Right. Right. But that's really weird because I truly think that the center of this film and the center of this franchise is Sarah Connor. Okay. But that's how I look at it. Not sure. the Terminator, but, re- and, but Schwarzenegger is the star. He's got the main credit, right? Hers is Absolutely. after his, right? But it is large. It, it is entirely her story. Oh, interesting thing. I just rewatched this recently, and the theme song of the uh, song, if you want to call it, of the music is very percussive and tremendous. Now, if you're watching this, I noticed this, or I'm imagining, very possible, that when the forks go into the dumpster, it actually mimics the sound almost precisely of the theme song. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I skipped that, man. And I was not stoned at the time. That's deep. Yeah, or just making stuff up. Well, in the the play that Cameron has with the, you know, he opens with a machine and you're you just got out of the future and now you're in the past and now you're looking at a machine that a man built, but it's you, know, you don't get the date until after. Right, it's a very effective misdirection. Right. And then of course you have the introduction of the machine. And I mean even when I was a kid, I I saw this as the womb. The circle, mm-hmm. the birth, and it reminds me a lot, actually, of uh, Deckard showing up in in Chinatown for the first shot. He's got that huge circle behind him. Okay. And uh, there's, I had to look it up. I did not know this, but it's the Chinese character for creation. Interesting. Is behind Deckard. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the future governor of California. And the introduction of manscaping to society. No body hair. It's freaking amazing. And. But this, this is like a seminal film for Schwarzenegger. Like before this, I remember seeing Hercules before this and just thinking like I was entertained, but it wasn't serious. And I had seen both Conan films before this. Both mm-hmm. of them were released before this. And the first Conan film, I think, is just masterful. Yeah, I think that is a tremendous, entertaining, tremendously entertaining flick. Yeah, and of course, I didn't know at the time who John Milius was or, or any of that. You know, it's just when you're a kid, like I was nine when this came out. Right, so right. It is, I'm, you're just not hip on all of that. By the way, have you been to the Griffith Observatory? I've not been actually to the Griffith Observatory. Drove by it multiple times, but never actually went up there. It's just one of those missed opportunities. You don't know until it's gone. Uh, yeah. The punk scene with Bill Paxton, R.I.P. God, man, I love Bill Paxton. For, he's from Fort Worth. Is he now? Yeah, he, he had an interview on Mark Maron's uh, What the Fuck podcast uh, like two weeks before he died. Gotcha. And if you, if you ever get a chance to... Is that, is that like tire marks across his It face? is totally tire marks. He's representative of the youth of society and how they've been run over. Yeah. It's anarchy in the U.S. Now, the gentleman, which I'm using that loosely, on the right. Yeah. Who is he? He's another one of those those guys. I know I've seen him. I just can't place it. He looks like Dolph Lundgren's younger, stupider cousin, which is actually hard to believe. It's either Brad Reardon or Brian Thompson. Okay. <clears throat> those are the other two that are listed in the credits under punk. That's it. Thank God in the 80s that the style was oversized baggy clothes. Otherwise, that would not have fit. So you notice the wet streets. Yes, and I actually noticed that. I think that is a tremendous touch, to be honest with you. Um, Obviously, drew some inspiration from a lot of, you know, cheap atmosphere solutions. And I I know that it's very common in film, and I I learned this on the Futility Closet podcast last week. It's very common in film to wet down the streets because of shadows mm-hmm. it eliminates the shadows and as a as a cameraman when you're lighting your set 
you don't have to worry about your shadows as if you spray everything down and keep it to a, a certain level. And in California, I'd imagine that'd be pretty easy because you don't have the heat problem that you have here in Texas or even in New York when you're shooting in the summer. Correct. Yeah, it is usually it's pretty temperate. Of course, it never has rainy streets, but it does, in my opinion, really always gives that grimy appearance. You know, you think taxi driver, at least I do, right? God, yeah, taxi and driver. And you kind of just get transported immediately mm-hmm. into a state of mind, which is pretty effective for this particular scene and this movie. The French Connection. Correct. Yeah. Wow, Friedkin and Scorsese. I never really tied them together. They're so different. <laughs> Kids, those are newspapers. <laughs> okay, so we got Reese. Reese shows up, and in an, in contrast to the Terminator, he's obviously he's he's smaller, he's shorter. Uh, he looks pretty ripped to us, but he's not Mister Universe. No, but he he's certainly ripped to me. He does some sit ups apparently. <laughs> right. Stole the button. What do you think that the cops were looking for with the spotlight prior to pulling up? Because they were definitely looking for something. Homeless guy? Yeah, maybe. I mean, just knowing, I mean, we have a conception of the LAPD, and it doesn't get better the farther back you go in history. It's been a pretty consistent, yeah, cr- critical eye towards that organization. Yeah. No, I never even thought about and this guy, he actually reminds me of Al Powell for some reason <laughs> from, from Die Hard. Like oh, he, yes. just, he just got back from Nakatomi now. He's searching. Look at this alleyway. My God, it just looks like. Which that is a pretty fair representation of what I like to think of Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood or West Hollywood? Mm, mostly Hollywood in my memory. But yes. Yeah. A great action film. It's got tits. It's got guns. And when you're 12, I'm sure, you know, this is fantastic. Even better when you're 9. Or 47. Or 47. And all these great visual effects shots you remember, you watch them all as an adult and you think, holy Jesus, how did they do that in 1984? It was pretty mind-boggling to me. And there's a lot of special effects shots in this film. And it's, it's hard to remember that this isn't sci-fi. Now, we should separate special effects and visual effects. Special effects is something that you practically shoot in the mm-hmm. film. And visual effects is something that you go back and edit in later. Right. So... For all intents and purposes, Star Wars is filled with special effects, mm-hmm. no visual effects, because they didn't have the technology at the point to right. be effective. Right, and then the Phantom Menace is completely opposite of that. That's a movie. <laughs> so this is a film about a lot of things, but one of the things I um, did you see the remake? By the way, I think it was Terminator Salvation, where they they shoot the exact same thing that looks like the exact same score. And they pick up the exact same sneakers at the exact same camera shot, and he puts yes. the sneakers on his feet. Nikes. Yeah. Yes. I do. I, I vaguely remember. It's one of the few things I remember about that movie, to be honest with you. Yeah. But everything else went out the door. But the the most Pretty memorable much. part to me was how they recreated everything from the first film to make it look like it. Correct. And then Amelia Clark. Those were the two things that. No, no, I didn't see it. Oh, you no, I, I must have seen it on the uh, YouTube or part of it. But no, actually, I did not see that movie on the YouTube on the YouTube. OK. More evidence of LAPD incompetence. He's able to steal a shotgun without breaking any locks or anything. Yeah. Or a convenient plot device. Yeah. And this this street just looks like every street I've ever seen in every movie shot in L.A. ever, including, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, what was the, you know, the, the happy hooker 
trilogy they had with the schoolgirl by night and prostitute high class car girl during the game was like Angel, Angel Avenging Angel, Angel yeah. and Angel, Avenging yeah. Angel Two, and yeah. that's every time he walks out of that street, I just think how many. I mean, this must be Sunset or Hollywood. No, presumably, or just off it. Yeah. And the the flare. Oh, my God, the lens flare. Oh, I thought you meant his collar. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's popped. It's it's pretty pop collar. Okay. Uh, The phone book. Yeah, that's another thing that just, just got me about it. But it's one of those things that makes sense. Oh. At the time. The lovely and fairly talented Linda Hamilton. Right. Uh, I love the female mullet. Yeah, it's, it's just tremendous. I was actually going to ask you tons of questions about Linda Hamilton because this is really, I don't know, I, I knew Princess Leia before Linda Hamilton, but yeah. Just, just a quick aside, this is definitely one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie because I myself like big buns and I cannot lie. <laughs> We're going to be re-recording a lot of this. Nah. Nah, we'll do it all in one go. Okay. So, so, so yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I think that this this is the first film I, I think I remember, other than Princess Leia, of like a, a, an actress taking taking over the film because she's, she's a minority in the beginning of the film. And by the, the time the film ends, she's in the majority of the film. And I don't mean like in every scene, just mm-hmm. her commanding presence. Right. She was definitely elevated throughout the course of the story. Right. And then she starts off that way in in the sequel, Terminator Two. Correct. Right, and it, it's almost like by the end of the film, uh, her her role um, uh, regresses, and then it's the the boy in the Terminator who. So it's a separate arc. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I think he did make a misstep in the second mil- second movie, rather. Yeah, and I do that. I've heard people tell me that Linda Hamilton doesn't look like a model, or she doesn't look. Uh, you know, like a lot of other Hollywood actresses, and I just completely she, disagree. Like, I, she does I have that girl next door look to me. I, I mean, I know that she's not like a Playboy model. Well, but. certainly, but it's also one of those things where I don't know. I mean, she has an uncommon every woman look to her, right. right? And generally speaking, that type of actress does not become terribly famous. And frankly, Linda Hamilton didn't become terribly famous. Her window of real exposure was Terminator One, Terminator Two, and what right. Beauty and the Beast. And there you go. Well, that's true, and that that's always the, the Alamo. Oh, yes. <laughs> I noticed that when I watched it last week. Colton Ruger. Yeah. And Dick Miller. And, yes, Dick Miller, who just passed away like last week at, at the age of 96 or something. He looks 96 there. Yeah, and uh, he worked for Roger Corman a lot in the 60s, in the 50s. And, and I, I mainly remember him from this and Explorers with okay. Ethan Hawke and uh, River Phoenix. Right. Now, I'm... He's just one in my mind, one of those guys. I've seen him a zillion times. I can't even place where. Right, but I've always been a fan of him. He shows up in a taxi cab, I think, in Ghostbusters or something. He's great guy. Twelve gauge autoloader, Uzi. Yeah, he has for the plasma rifle. I remember being nine. Go plasma rifle. <laughs> I want the plasma rifle. Looks like a Spaz Twelve. Yeah. I don't know why he passed on the Winchester pump. Yeah. He's a man with, you know, is he's Austrian. It's one of those. He likes the modern look. Yeah. No, he, he's had, if you think about Schwarzenegger's life, to, to go from being born in 
in you know, the western side of Austria, and Vienna was split at the time between four powers mm-hmm. in the post-war area to to immigrating to America in the what was the late 1960s and then becoming a, a Mr. Universe contestant and, right. and by in two decades becoming a major Hollywood star. And by, by the time you get to the 90s and even Cameron's film uh, True Lies, he commanded a huge salary. Now, he did have some missteps, like uh, The Last Action Hero was a famous bomb. But it was a tremendously entertaining film, in my opinion, on retrospect. Oh, yeah? I, I really enjoyed it, frankly. But <laughs> I know why it wouldn't be popular, right? It's a skewering of the whole action um, genre, which it was either not well done or before its time. I'm not sure because it's been so long since I've seen it. But I recall seeing it. I enjoyed it cr- tremendously. So here's another machine being crushed by another machine being driven by a machine. So you've got a lot of repetitiveness there. And this is when he he goes to kill Sarah Connor, which is the wrong Sarah Connor, but there's lots of Sarah Connors in the phone book. There there must be tons of Dave Andersons in the phone book. There's a lot more Dave Andersons than Sarah Connors because there are three Sarah Connors in the L.A. phone book. Yeah. For you millennials, a phone book is how you find Sarah Connor. Good point. Yeah. So not to get too meta here, but we both read that book by the BFI, Correct. and, and he, he made a relationship between them, Arnie's automaton acting, mm-hmm. and particularly in this scene, and then the, the robot from Metropolis. So the robot, to, I thought that was a very strange comparison. I, I, yeah, I'm having a hard time seeing that myself. Yeah. It's one of those that the impassive killer, even though this was a relatively new um, movie and kind of in the public consciousness, at least it was reinvented so well in the early 80s that we thought it was new, that a kind of impassive killer thing has always been around. So drawing it to another machine, okay, I guess I can see it, but it's it's not that notable in my opinion. When I think of it, any, like an impassive killer who is particularly a robot or a suspected personality like that, I actually think of Rutger Hauer from Blade Runner. I yeah. don't think of... The Metropolis robot, she was actually a female who turned into a robot. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to think of, you know, the feminine voice of Hal okay. in 2001 or specifically C-3PO. Where, um, is it not Kenny Baker? Um, Anthony Daniels. Anthony Daniels, who's actually a very thin, very wiry form. Uh, I don't want to say uh, anything controversial sexuality wise but i would say yeah. it's certainly just an effeminate form that's yeah, in certainly. that in that presentation of that of that robot mm-hmm. uh, i don't see that related to the terminator in any way shape or form i, I have a hard time you know finding parallels with that in my mind and... yeah now, these skulls were like golf balls apparently and this is one of those force perspective tricks where it just makes it look like that skull is normal and then the, the track behind it is just absolutely huge but in fact everything on here is miniature but it is as much as anything it once again demonstrates how a physical actual object being filmed has a significant you know impression in regards to it versus a digital creation there's right. always a weight even if it's even if the weight is 18 grams it always looks more real in my opinion it does. It, it it reminds me of all those shots actually in um, in Lord of the Rings where uh, Gandalf and Frodo are in the same shot and right. and there's no special effects or visual effects no. at all in the film. It's the way that uh, Peter Jackson is angling just frames the them and sits them and yeah, the forced perspective. It's always 
it's remarkably effective. Even if you watch it again, knowing it, it is sometimes easy to lose yourself in the effect itself. Yeah, and if if they move in any certain way out of order, particularly in Lord of the Rings, but even here, like if you had one piece of item move in a wrong way, everything would just look like a, an Escher painting uh, just <laughs> exploded or something. Like it would look so strange. No, great. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is one of those sequences or not that for whatever reason has... Oh, we're going to have to rewind. This does not work in my brain. No? No. But it's one of those, for some reason, that, even when I was a child, was really an impactful scene. Not necessarily any of the special effects or whatnot, but the way that the, you know, the gal was blown up. It was a very legitimately horrifying representation of warfare, which is, generally speaking, presented in mass entertainment as not that terrible. But it is one of those that, on that... It's pretty rough. Well, it reminded me. No, that, that was exceptionally rough. Now we are, we are in this period where everyone is analyzing Vietnam a lot. It's only 1984. It's it's uh, like 15 years after. 15 the fact. years after we pulled out of Vietnam. Yeah. 11 years after the treaty Correct. with 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 North Vietnam, and uh, but there's not too much Vietnam going on in this film. Actually, no. like Aliens is different. Like that is very much obviously inspired is, by it, at least the films of that age. Right, right. But I didn't see that in this. And this, this actually reminded me, particularly the apocalyptic future, reminded me more of Road, uh, the Road Warrior, mm-hmm. not Mad Max, but right, the, the Road second Warrior. Road Warrior, yeah, the Mad Max Two. And how you were describing the body flying apart, like that, that to me was right out of the Road Warrior. You had bodies being dragged and torn, or that. Uh, Death Race 2000, or the Roger Corman movie with the kid who was getting pulled by tractor trailers, getting pulled apart. That sounds like a pleasant experience that I haven't seen. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't even remember the name of the movie, but it came to my mind. Okay. And it does grab your attention. I always liked on this, well, no, that's not accurate. I didn't always like, but upon rewatch, I appreciated how she was wearing a Jetstone, or Jetsons t-shirt, right? Because she... You, you could make an argument oh. after reading the book. You know, she's representing of the future. And then when you go to Rick Rossovich, who's Slider from Top Gun, who stinks. Um, you know, he, <laughs> I'd seen your notes in regards to Einstein, which was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And is it one of those things where she's representative of the future, being a female, being stronger, whatever you want it to be. And he's, from a cultural criticism, representative of the past. Is possible if you're an overstuffed, you know, intellectual? Or is it one of those things where it's like the Jetsons was certainly on purpose, in my opinion, but it is one of those that you would never think about it? No, I certainly didn't think about it until I saw it on the rewatch. And actually, when I wrote it down on my notes, I wrote it wrong. I wrote the Flintstones. It's not the Flintstones. It's almost the exact same show. But yeah, it's a very distinct difference. (laughs) Yeah, just a couple of thousand years. Correct. And Rasevich is wearing Einstein. Yes. Uh, You know, is that a joke? Because he just seems like an idiot. He does seem like a meathead. Yeah. Paul Winfield and Lance Henriksen. Again, great actors who had a great career. Right, but you know, we're obviously just taking a paycheck for this cheap, you know, random, um, you know, monster movie. But, you know, they both put their all into it. And I, in my opinion, they are both actually much more effective as actors than the primaries in the movie. Yeah. Much more naturalistic. Yeah, and, and Traxler, Paul Winfield plays Lieutenant Traxler, and he's popping pills. <laughs> scene which I was again like it doesn't make the at first you think well this is a progressive LAPD they have a black lieutenant and then he right. starts popping pills and he so, plays right into the stereotype of the overworked underappreciated strung out you know lieutenant right she's a maniac 
A maniac. I know. <laughs> so, uh, so going back to the Jetsons t-shirt, like this is also one of those moments where, you know, you, I don't want to say people say people, who are, who are people? They say they do, they, you know, who are they? But I remember being younger and people telling or having the attitude of, well, Linda Hamilton's not a sexy woman. I see her in that Jetsons shirt, and all I want to do at the age of 9 or 12 is take that off. Right. So there's a there's a sexuality and, a, and a ambition there that she inspires in the audience, which is there and which is real. Okay. Um, the lizard I don't get. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm lost on the lizard. Well, if I you sh- can tell me what the fucking lizard means, I'll be happy. Well, lizard's actually one of those perfect L.A. pets, right? It's not as perfect as a New York pet where you have no room to take your lizard for a walk. But in L.A., it's, it's really true, right? I mean, everybody's packed on each other. Everybody drives. Taking a dog for a walk when you have an apartment or a crammed-in house, you know, it's sometimes not that straightforward to have a dog. And as we all know, lizards are better than cats. Did you have a lizard when you lived in L.A.? I had no lizard, but I did house sit for one of my buddy's pythons. There you go. I don't even know what to go with that. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to leave that there. So 225, I, I have tried... And I have failed to find any any significance significance of two two five. But ever since The Shining, I've been, been trying like hell to find you know I get in deep into numerology. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What are they trying to say? It means you're looking for something. That it means you're looking. There. Yeah, right. It means you're lost is what it means. Okay. So the moped, did you see any mopeds when you lived out there? Um, you know, back, I lived in, for the audience that they have already turned off the podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I went to college at USC and lived out in um, South Central Los Angeles. And that was way long ago, now that I think about it, almost 30 years. But I certainly wasn't considering it. So there may have been, but I don't recall. I rode my skateboard to class. Powell Peralta or Sim Z? Uh, it was Powell Peralta. It was a... Uh, it was a Tony Hawk model, and it was tremendous, and it got stolen. So everything about it. So it was totally, L.A. It was totally L.A. <laughs> okay. Uh, this has to be a set, but as a set, like I got to say, it looks great. Yeah, it, it's really well done. And I noticed that it was it was 920. When he opened the door in the hallway, it was 920 on that clock, and, he, and there, it looks like they're in, in that office, and there was a jump cut to inside, and then it's 920 on the clock on the wall here. So That's if nothing else, James Cameron is paying attention. 940, 940. It was 940 in the hallway. That's what I meant to say. Gotcha. So there there was tracks or popping pills. Now, uh, Henriksen, what's your favorite Lance Henriksen movie? Oh, I mean... It's, it's, it's got to be Aliens, right? As my favorite movie that he's in. Yeah. I don't know if I can positively identify my favorite Lance Henriksen movie because I don't know if I've ever seen a Lance Henriksen movie, but... Near Dark. Good point. Touche. That is a tremendous film, actually. But, yeah, that is... And Catherine Bigelow. Wasn't Catherine Bigelow married to James Cameron? She was also married to James Cameron. That was, that was before he married Linda Hamilton. But after he married Gail Ann Hearn. So who was his first wife? I thought it was Gail Ann Hurd. Gail Ann Hurd. And then... Linda Hamilton. L- Linda Hamilton and then Catherine Bigelow? Right. I because this, the crew, the not just the crew, but the actors mm-hmm. is, from Near Dark is is the same group from from Aliens. Yeah. It's almost the, the same cast. Part, yeah, it's right? almost the same cast. Exactly. With yeah. the notable exception of Sorini Weaver. Right. Which, she would have been great in that. It actually would have worked out yeah. great. Sigourney Weaver in anything. That's, that does pretty much work out. That, that ups the game, I think, in my opinion. 
two execution style murders. Uh, what is this? A Pizza Hut? I this is one of those things where you look and I, I know I, I I try not to get hung up on this, but as I continue to do the podcast and I continue to to look at films that are older, I look at things in the background mm-hmm. that just like I don't, I've never been to a pizzeria in the last twenty years in which they give you a tray to put your pizza on. And finding the tubes in the background, and really? I was watching the taking of Pelham one two three, and this this guy's got like a, uh, he's got a cold, and he's sticking this thing up his nose, and it's like a vapo stick. My mother told me it's just, it's something that you do to fight your bad sinuses. Okay, I'm doesn't Star Pizza present the pizza? Oh, I have not trays? been to Star Pizza in, well, no, Ben Sheffer and I had a beer there about a year and a half ago. Really? Yeah. Will digress. Yeah. Okay, but I think they do serve it on that, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong. I think so. That's my memory. Is it just because I've been in Canada for so long and then they don't move up there? So exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a Canadian thing. Oh, another one for the kids. This is what we call a pay phone. <laughs> and what she's going to do here now is, quote, hang up. So when people say, hang up the phone, that's what they mean. Not, not press a button. Yeah, I saw the Walkman earlier, but I think because of Gardens of the Galaxy mm-hmm. 1 and 2, people know what a Walkman yeah, is. Yeah, that's a lot more present in the public consciousness. Yeah. Creeper. Creeper. So, I mean, in regards to this movie in particular, I mean, Michael Bang? I, I'm yeah, totally, I thought it was Ben. It, it probably is. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering. It's one of those names I've read, but I've never heard anybody say. Um in this movie, I don't think he's very good, frankly, from an, quote, acting perspective, end of quote. I mean, he's very effective in his role, but except for the parts where he's got to turn it up to 11, I don't think he's all that good. But it is one of those things where just from the physical performance, I think he's actually very effective in you know giving a certain degree of menace. Now, nobody who saw this movie thought he was really the Terminator. Yeah, you know, there was really no misdirection no. to the audience. Because, but you didn't know if he was a good guy or a bad correct. guy. Correct. You weren't you, unless you <clears throat> unless you'd watch the previews, which I did watch the preview for this before I saw it. Mm. Tech noir, which is a I believe in the BFI book they equate that phrase to James Cameron's general, you know, movie making uh, like his genre, style, which I think is pretty apt actually. Except for Titanic. Um, even then, there is a certain degree of technical pornography with it, right? When the ship's breaking apart, it is oh, really well documented. Right, and it's just this whole thing. I mean, and going down into the deep in the submarine in that whole part, it is really focused on that. Obviously, I, I don't know what he made. Oh, and the replay of the video in the beginning when they actually explain to you layman's terms what happened. Right. Well, that's interesting. Now, I did notice, well, notice, I don't know if this is the case. I did research this, and I could not find it. But the, the chick who was taking the tickets at the club, it looks astoundingly like uh, Bridget Nielsen. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know if uh, Arnie passes her again. Um, no, she just yells out, hey, that jerk didn't pay. Didn't pay. <laughs> right. She's got some tremendous calves. She does. And, you know, one of the things that... Well, the Walkman's got the lasso on it. Right. Right. <laughs> I had one of those. The handbag of the 80s. Your Walkman. <laughs> but she gets this plate of food, and, and like she must get hungry after sex, because oh, she's an enormous plate of food. She's famished. Yeah. And it's an interesting combination of food, for sure, she has. Peanut butter and bread, which makes, of course, sense, but then there's lunch meats and celery, and, yeah, I'm somewhat baffled. And a lizard. Harvest weeds. 
Yeah, it was just always. Oh yeah, that's a, it's, 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 it's something a I notice. Every, yeah, it's yeah. something I notice every time. And, and this guy, of course, is just passed out. Rick Rossovich. What was his handle in Top Gun? It was Slider. Slider. Yeah. And Arnold killed that pillow. Made it pay for his crimes. Right. Now uh, Rick Rossovich is actually like he's pretty buff here, uh, but I mean he's given it. It seems like he is uh, the Terminator is. It's supposed to be this unstoppable machine, but Rick Rossovich seems like he's giving him the go. Like as much as it can be done. Yeah. Right. I like how he left his socks on. That's pretty weird. <laughs> 80s etiquette. Poor Rick. <laughs> we will miss you. Poor Rick, poor Ginger. Yeah. So, no, why didn't he pull the gun earlier? Like, they're this kind of... I mean, no, that's nitpicking. No, but, but it's, it's definitely just designed for, you know, the entertainment for the audience, right? Yeah. There's a fight scene. Yeah, from a logistical and legitimate standpoint it makes no sense but it's entertaining no hollywood hasn't changed you, you have certain number of beats you have certain number of pages and you've got to have something happen mm-hmm. if you're going to follow a, a story and and james cameron wrote the script with uh gail ann hurd okay so they obviously structured the script in such a way as to get a certain amount of money sure and they 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 made very few changes to the script and uh one of the changes that Cameron assented to was we want to, the, the producers wanted a romantic relationship between Michael Ben and Linda Hamilton where there wasn't one before and wound up being that there's a, it was a good thing that that happened. Yes. Sometimes the producers know what they're talking about. Right. Because they would not have had a sequel. Oh yeah. Well, it almost would have made, it would have made, made a lot no less sense. sense. Right. But I mean, you're right. There wouldn't, you know, they would have figured some way. It would have been sequel, one of those but... funny things of remember right. then, back then, and we're going to shoot a little scene that should have been in the first film, but which wasn't, and it's going to look a little off, and it's going to be awkward, but they didn't have to do that. But it was so cheap, the producers basically let him do what he wanted to do. Do you still have an address book? Um, No. I've actually finally gotten rid of it. It was probably about a year ago. And have inputted everything into my phone, which I changed recently and lost a higher percentage of my contacts than I wanted to. So back to pencil and paper I go. Tech noir. Okay. I, I thought I do s- I do like how he knows it. Oh yeah, so I'm Pico. It's like okay. <laughs> Man, that guy is a Google. <laughs> But this is, the, well, cops. Cops know sure. where clubs are. Yeah, you know. as you can tell, he's been pounding the streets for years now. Yeah. Yeah, you imagine he's probably a 20-year 20, 20 guy mm-hmm. by that point, for sure. And this scene just, at, I remember the first time, again, you, you watch things differently when you're a kid. Right. This, this film, even today, seems really fast. It does, yeah. It is well-paced. Yeah. It is actually almost, you know, what's what's the phrase? True filmmaking. Um, I can't remember what it is. Where it's almost one hundred percent motion, like you were referencing earlier with Mad Max Two or The Road Warrior. That is almost a silent film, and to a certain degree, this movie would be better if it truly was a silent, um, a um, silent film. Oh well, yeah. So, uh, Arnie has literally like. 22 lines in this entire film. I think it's 74 words. Yeah. And most of it he speaks uh, in the first hour. And I think after the first hour, there's like three lines and, and seven words or something like that. I think he kills more people than he... 20, 27 people <laughs> is the yeah, is the, the kill count. count. So, yeah. So if you want to break that down per word, I think it's three people per... <laughs> three words per person or something. Right. You've got me burning. I always like to pay attention to the... 
the lyrics the of the lyrics, yeah. see if it matches what's going on. But anyway, like I, I think of this as an actually a, a very fast movie. It's fastly cut, and then you get to the tech noir scene. This is the only one that's actually like other than a love scene. It's actually slow motion. Correct. So he slows down the camera. This guy with the piano tie. My brother had a piano tie. Oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. And every time I see the piano tie, I think of uh, John Cusack. Not because I ever saw him in a piano tie, but when I think of a piano tie. That's what of, you think of. Yeah. It is very much a signifier of the time and place. Uh, so, yeah. It so, was really interesting about this when I rewatched it. They both cocked their guns. Why wouldn't they be 100% ready to go? And obviously, it's for the dramatic action perspective, right, from a movie. But from a practicality standpoint, it makes no sense. And I know that we are from Texas, and we we have firearms, and we're more familiar with firearms. We come from a culture of firearms, and Hollywood actors not necessarily so much. Right, or your regular old viewing public in New York City. Right, yeah. And you look at... Uzis, we know that's an Uzi. And yes. Maybe that was just more in the popular mindset at the time because Uzi was the gun at the time. Right. For sure. They're in a lot of them. But I do remember in Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's in the car and he's loading up a Walter PPK and he puts a silencer on it. And there's like four clicks going on after the silencer is rotated onto the barrel. Mm. So you're kind of wondering, okay, well, there's a magazine, there's a slide, right? there's a safety. What's that fourth click? Yeah, it makes no sense. But it sure sounds cool. Yeah. It, it sounds cool when people, oh my God, that, is that not like a hair moment? Like he's just about to finish her off and second time in about 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I want to go into that. Like, it's almost like a little bit like Sam's peck and Paul, like how Cameron slows the camera down when right. the action takes place in the club. And that's where I was getting into. Like, this is a pretty fast movie. It goes by pretty fast. And the club scene is very slow. And you look at the amazement on her face like that guy's getting backed up what is going on here and that's her first indication that something weird is happening right i mean the audience knows at this point but yeah certainly her perspective is well represented and it's just a, a very simple camera push in it's not it's not like a, a deep pull or uh no. what's the spielberg thing that he does with brody on the beach the, oh uh, the spiel uh, the uh, hitchcock um i can't yeah, remember the, the zoom? name of it. Yeah. is it called the it's, it's not well, a zoom well, it's they, a, they back out when they the pull camera, the camera and they zoom in, in to so, focus yeah, yeah. It, i it defies me now what it's called, but he didn't use one of them. Those are really hard to pull off. Yeah. Um, Kevin Smith tried to do one in uh, Dogma, and it was it was dog shit. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I like Kevin Smith and I like his movies, but that particular camera... It just didn't movie, work. Yeah. Right through the windshield. Uh, he had acid. Arnie had acid on his jacket. Oh, I thought he was on acid. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Probably. No, and I know they use a pneumatic arm for that effect, right? Because certainly he he can't you can't do that. Well, no, I mean like uh like his the reason his jacket is smoking is because right. they put acid on it so that it would smoke. And I Arnie said some of that got into his eyes. Oh, which is not cool. Just it's not what you hope for from a safety standpoint. Man, he look at he just looks. But they do a good job of keeping the continuity right okay so this character has gone through these different events and like the hair has been singed off so their cut changes and there's some things like that that i think they do really well that would be ignored in most other b or maybe even c movies no you're you're right you're right there's a documentary on netflix about uh, tom papatopoulos who is this sort of uh not even b movie it was like a c movie okay um, guy who did stuff for cable and Skinamax and 
and um, he didn't care about any of that shit. Like yeah, that's he, not know, relevant. You know, <laughs> no, he was shooting movies in like three days, and it was basically like how many how many women can I get in a in a room with their tops off, and that's why they call him Tom. Papatopoulos. Oh, okay. Because you pop the tops. There are worse jobs. I have one of them. Right, but the but the difference between that and this is is yeah, is a, there's a market difference. Right, but we're auction, but we're not talking about a great, great a, a whole lot of uh, budgetary difference. Correct. Actually, like not that Pom Top Papatopoulos had four million dollars, but he you know he probably had two. Right. Now the ambition for this movie is definitely a, but the budget may be b. Right. That is crazy driving. I don't. Even, I don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning in West Hollywood. That would That's be quite crazy. challenging. Yeah, yeah, I mean driving on a sidewalk like that. And you see it. And everybody. I don't know what movie did it first. It's one of those things. Like when we saw Ronan. I think mm-hmm. you and I saw Ronan together. I think that's right. Ninety six with Lockie. Sounds about right. And the wives and I. They they go against the flow of traffic on the mm-hmm. Seine, and then from then on, every movie shot in Paris that has a car chase must have. Counterflow traffic. Well, the one, the one I remember it from, which I don't know if this is taken from at all, was uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, driving on the sidewalk? No, no. That was one where it was totally counter. There was the whole freeway oh. chase scene, which was really effectively done where he's driving counter to traffic on the freeway. Oh, was, man. I haven't seen that in 20 years. I love that movie, though. It, it's, we're going to have to double check because if I'm wrong, I want this part edited out. It's like, <laughs> ah, dumb, dumbass didn't know what he's talking about. Unlikely. I, I love that movie. William Peterson and... Oh, this does remind me, though, because this, I, I believe, is an LTD-2 from Ford. And my buddy had a 1977 LTD-2, and I can promise you, from experience, car doesn't handle like this. <laughs> so this is definitely a souped-up version. Or maybe this is the Lincoln. Oh, is that a Caddy? Mm. Well, it, They all kind of look the same. Well, so the back end of it, that looks like a Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And then the side view that... You, you were just talking about it looked like an LTD. It's almost it looks like the model of the car is changing. Of course, Lincoln and Ford are essentially the same vehicle. Well, they are, but they got a different. They do have a different badging. Body, and... yeah. Now this this cop car, but that that's a Dodge. That's a Bluesmobile. You know <laughs> that that's just what they had for twenty years. See that that is not an LTD. That looks like a Buick or something. You might be right. They all kind of look the same. But the, the editing is so fast and, and the lighting is such that you, you're actually not paying. I mean, you'd have to stop it to pay attention to something like that. Oh, sure. Or watch it like so many times. That you are way too obsessed. Yeah. But I mean, this. Which we are. Which we are. And so right here you have a little bit of exposition, which for the most part of the movie doesn't exist, right? You just get dropped in and here's the story and this is what happens. And the exposition is done visually. But this is one of the few times where they actually talk. And I think this is one of those moments where Michael Bain, I don't, I don't think at this point in his career or maybe the direction at this particular time where Cameron was all that good. It struck me as very stilted and just kind of kind of inauthentic. Mm-hmm. That being said, still a good movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I think about his other characters. And unfortunately, the <clears throat> his career with Cameron is what really sticks out in the mind uh, aliens of course who plays hicks and then the abyss right who plays uh, coffee and both of those roles he doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue no and if you think of what you know five out of ten what are your michael ben films they're all those three cameron films yeah there's gonna be that and maybe if you're a freak the rock 
The Rock. Yeah, the Michael Bay movie, The Rock. With Sean Connery and John Cusack right. and Nicolas Cage. Right, and the one with, you know... He's in that? Yeah, he's the uh, SEAL leader. Well, I, I don't think I've seen that since the theater. Like, I try... Okay, really? I try not to see... You any... don't have the Criterion edition I, of The no, Rock? No, I don't. I, You're I, missing out. No, let me check the shelf real quick. No, and no fucking Armageddon either. Oh. Which I think I borrowed from you. Well, I... We're going to pause on this conversation. <laughs> but it, I didn't realize he was in I tried not to watch any Michael Bay film at all. And if I do, I try to just limit that to once. But that's just my Edwin bias. What about that, Pain and Gain? Say what? Pain and Gain. Bain, pain and Gain. Yeah, I had The Rock and Mark Wahlberg. No, I skipped, the... I skipped that one too. I didn't even know that existed. Good man. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. It's Is good. it like a runaround? Um, no, it's not like... Is it, not is like it the, the runaway? Or is rundown. it the, run, the rundown? The rundown. Yeah. With no, it's actually kind of one of those where, um, you know, you hear of different filmmakers who do these big movies, kind of like Spielberg, but obviously not, right? <laughs> but he'll do a big movie, and then he'll do a personal movie. Sure. And this is kind of Michael Bay's version. And John where, Huston was famous right. for doing that. Yeah. And, and it's just one of those. And No Pain and Gain is a bizarrely entertaining movie. It's got a lot of the different Michael Bay flourishes where there's slow motion and low shots and everything else. But there is a really twisted and evil sense of humor in that movie that makes it well worth watching. Oh, man. i got to look that up. Is I mean, Michael Ben in that one? I don't believe he is, but you do get to see The Rock barbecue a hand. Oh, that uh, I'm in. Like on a grill. It's pretty amazing. I'm obviously, in. Obviously not set in Texas, otherwise you'd be smoking it. So one thing I noticed about this particular scene is you, you were just talking about the exposition where Ben just goes through, pay attention. I remember being a kid and you know, those were the conversations in sci-fi films that I most paid attention to. Like right. I, the scene in Blade Runner where Deckard's going through the 3D picture mm-hmm. and pan right, pan left, right. drop down 30 degrees, turn to the right. And when they're talking about the Voight comp test, and mm-hmm. I mean, that sci-fi talk Mm -hmm. it's almost you know you don't get any of that in star wars because that's more fantasy right right but i mean to a certain degree it's kind of like in er where they just throw out this medical gobbledygook that you have no idea which you have no idea what it means but in the context you kind of understand yeah right or you recognize okay it's not important that i know exactly what it means or la law when they're talking about double jeopardy in the fifth article in 19th clause and you're like oh that's so cool and alex trebek says what is random you know things for a thousand yeah, yeah. So, so that make, that makes total sense to me. That really drew me in, and even even now, I think it captivates I, I, the I, imagination. Yeah, I might have to recant some of my earlier statements that maybe it's more effective. And I liked how they on this one again paid attention to continuity, where you've seen the bite marks on the hand, mm-hmm. which in a lot of movies they would just blow they, it they off, wouldn't bother even me. if it was just a C rate. This one, okay, they pay attention; it matches a bite mark. Which is not one of those things that makes the movie, but kind of helps explain why it elevated above just your standard pulp. It's not the exterminator. It's the Terminator. Right. What was the other? um, Invasion USA. Something along those lines. Oh my God, yes. Which are just god-awful. Well, I, I I don't understand... We talk about, you know, there was there are a few authors who wrote about the 80s in the 90s. Yes. Uh, Susan Jeffords, Kaja Silverman, and they talked about the hyper-masculinity. And we talked before about how 
I didn't necessarily believe that to be true. I thought sure. that was an unfair characterization of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I, I love 80s films. I think it's very self-reflexive. Yeah. And very much like a, a mirror into our times and America sold and all of our problems and all of our solutions mm-hmm. and, and our outlook on life. But you, you look at something like First Blood mm-hmm. and what a just fucking awesome film that is from start to finish and top to bottom. Right. And then you follow it up with something like Rambo. Which is absurdity. Yes, absurdity, but not bad. It's well-executed ex- absurdity. Yes, yeah. And then Rambo 3 is just That's poorly bad, absurdity. right? Yeah. But I'm trying to think of a single Chuck Norris film that's not bad. It may be entertaining, mm-hmm. but... Uh, that's know, not bad? Good Guys Were Black or Invasion USA or it's just... Are you looking for one that's actually good? Like, yeah, like a good Chuck Norris movie. You know? Okay. It just... Um, I just don't think there is one. But I if think, you think of Schwarzenegger, you know his good movies. You know his bad yeah, movies. He, that's you true. know his mediocre movies. I think Lone Wolf McQuaid may be a good Chuck Norris movie. Maybe. Oh, man. Maybe. And when Maybe. I, when, I, when, <laughs> when I was a kid, there was no cooler movie than the, Lone Wolf, Wolf McQuaid. McQuaid. Another Orion movie. Orion, Orion Pictures? Yeah. They were... They were a brilliant organization while they lasted. I right. It's watched a shit out of Orion. Well, well this movie itself, I think, really was the first that I can recall. This and Blade Runner, like you referenced earlier, where they had the Lad Corporation. Yeah. Where I kind of paid attention to that type of stuff. And if it was a Ryan movie, because one of the other famous movies in my, or at least more notable movies in my brain for Orion was RoboCop. Right. Yeah. Which this is. Kinda, in that same And you can totally see it being a parallel universe future of the Terminator, right? Mm. One future goes Terminator 2, the other future goes Robocop. Conceptually, you can kind of imagine that. At least I can. Yeah. Um. So, same milieu, if you will. And they made a lot of pulp movies. They made some good movies, because I, I can't remember what it was, but they made more than a handful of, like, literally good movies. But a lot of them were these kind of B-rate, B-budget is a better way to put it. Movies that I think were still a step above yeah. some of the A-rated action movies. Because I remember watching some big A-rated action movies from the 80s, and they were freaking not good. Right. They're not good. No, I think there's a lot to that. And I think, and I wouldn't call it so much of a genre mm-hmm. or, or even a style, but I, I don't know what you would call it. But you think of all the shit that Golan Globe has put out. Oh, yeah. It's and not good. All of that is in the same barrel. Yeah. Right. Cross genre, cross style, but you, you watch a Goal on Globus movie, you know what you're getting. It's <laughs> <Right. laughs> a good indicator of your entertainment level for that right. night. Yeah, but Orion, they put out great film. Didn't they do uh, A Silence of the Lambs? That was like their no. last picture before they went well, bankrupt. Yeah, you might be right. You probably Because I remember, right. like, I think that they, they filed, and like the next week they got the Oscar, or Jonathan Demi got the Oscar for Very possible. Silence of the Lambs. Very possible. And there's there's always the struggle, just just like Reese is struggling with the three on the tree. <laughs> there's always a struggle between you know it is it's as old as uh, von Sternberg and Orson Welles of mm-hmm. the balance between art and popular entertainment, right? And Hitchcock was always about the masses, right? And he always was, he and he was really. One of the masters. I mean, it's, it's overdone, and it's not like I'm breaking new ground, but he was certainly a master. Kind of like mm-hmm. Spielberg, right? It's like, this is mm-hmm. a good movie, but it's still important. 
in yes. quotes. Right, and I, I I don't as far as like the the deeper meaning of the Terminator, mm-hmm. the, the, the the I don't think that there is one hmm. necessarily. No, I, I I tend to agree. I don't know if there is a. Yeah, you can interpret a lot, right? In retrospect, but I don't think I don't believe for a second when they made this that it was an overreaching objective to become a definitive statement and critique of our no. future. No, sure. I think they just wanted to make a great movie. Yeah, let's make hey. Here's here's a big guy. He shoots things. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, this this look at this scene here. Like, this is right out of Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the entire police station scene just. But even that shot right there was really good because you got Lance Henriksen who's yawning in the background. Yeah. You got Paul Winfield is paying attention, and then the creepy psychologist who is doing a great job playing creepy. Yeah, it looks like he needs a bra. Right. It's is but it's really well framed. Um, I, I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure. That the version we're watching on Vudu is cropped. I want to oh, say this was two, three, yeah. five to one, and this is you know being presented. No, I think you're right. So yeah. I mean, and Vudu's guilty of that. Yeah, but yeah. it's one of those things that usually when you're shooting at that ratio, you're making a legitimate, you know, objective of like, okay, I'm going to make quote art end of quote. Right. It must be widescreen. If it's not widescreen, it's not art. Right. And yeah. I think, I, I, that's bullshit. Citizen Kane is a square. I don't know if I just. I don't know if I agree with that. I. I'm. I greatly prefer scope. Well, no. So do I. So so do I. But like Eyes Wide Shut and The Shining, like, that's like four three or something. Yeah, maybe? but it's one of those where I find Kubrick a very frustrating filmmaker. <laughs> You're not the only. I'm not one. unique. I know. <laughs> Once again, breaking new ground. Oh, oh my um, God. Yeah, I love Kubrick, but yes, he's very problematic. And it is one of those where, you know, a lot of the things that I like, right, he seems to dis- disregard. I mean, the only big scope one that I can think of is 2001. That doesn't mean I'm right. That's the only one I can think of immediately. I think that is right. But, well, but Spartacus. But that's almost not but Spartacus like his almost film. isn't a Kubrick film, right? right. Yeah. Two weeks into shooting. Uh, okay, so oh, back to notes. Yeah, so okay, the the arm. I wanted to bring this up because, like, is this not right out of Empire Strikes? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, hundred percent. It wasn't just me because no. even when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's a complete fucking rip off from Empire. Exactly. Yeah, because you got the same pistons and everything else. I think it's probably pretty darn close to an identical, you know, replicate of the model. Yeah. And then the absurd psychiatrist, Earl Bowen, by the way, he's the psychiatrist. He's done so much TV, it's crazy. He has 271 acting credits on his IMDb. I would have bet the under. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's but, not true. But watching this, it's it's almost... And, and we know that Cameron and, and Gail Ann Hurd, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't always just say Cameron, like she wrote half the script, supposedly. And she contributed yeah. to the script and she was the producer. She, It was just as much her movie as it was Cameron's movie. So there's a, a, a play going on with the, the psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. Of he's he's seen as an idiot. Yeah, I, I don't know if it much. I don't know if he looked, he's looked at it from my perspective as an idiot as much as an opportunist, right? Oh, because he is definitely my impression is or my imagination is a better way to put it is I can see him writing a book. In five years, these, <laughs> about this incident. These, well, these are well. The, he pops up in T two, right? But He's, it's also one of these. These are the loons I've interviewed, or maybe that's just the way. You know, if you ended up talking to these individuals who have some overactive imaginations, I'd get numb to it, right? And I yeah. would do it for my own entertainment, yeah. for sure. Yeah, 
But at the same time, there's there's also this this play. It's it's almost like hmm. a not a play on words, but like a balance imbalance going on where he says, um, all Reese is doing is making up shit to create his own world so that he can feel comfortable. Right. And, and while he any evidence. Right. And in that same conversation, what oh, you see is, 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 oh yeah, the eye thing. I've got an eye thing. This, I can't, <laughs> you can't, it's like the malaise. Have you seen the malaise picture with, uh, that they did with, uh, Salvatore Dali? Yeah. Like in I, 1922 when they dragged a straight razor yeah. across the eyeball. And, uh, well, a lot of it goes back to a movie that I remember when I was a kid and my memory, it, the, movie, the name of the movie is The Eyes of Laura Mars, Right. Starring Faye Dunaway. No. Yeah, no. and my and a babysitter at the time let us watch it on HBO back when HBO first came on. And my memory is that there was a scene that played homage to it. I don't think it was a De Palma film, but it was the same type of thing. Where yeah. It's like, I'm going to ape this stuff and call it an homage. And That's there was a razor blade across the night, and it's just like, oh, that was it for me. <laughs> now, we can laugh about the head now, but back then, I oh, mean, ba- that, you know. Back it, then, it looked fake but but practical right and it looked as good as you could get at the time yeah and it's still better than a lot of you know cgi in my opinion yeah well he looks better with the glass like if if they had just left the glasses on you you, really it would have passed so much better and i wanted a pair of gargoyles for at least 10 years after this movie i was into oakley's not gargoyles Uh, i don't know when this movie came out totally wanted ak-74 with a fast mag duct tape Retractable stock. Okay, I'm I'm gonna defer to your knowledge on AK-74. Uh, only because of call, yeah. Only because of Call of Duty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The 74 model that that would have been 1984. Yeah, that would have been the 74. Okay. Because now they're on like the 96 or whatever. It's all it's all the 47. It's right. all the 47. It's just, it's yeah. just what revision. It's kind of like you know I got into an argument with a guy the other day about the he's going into the army. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so you're know, still using the M16? It's like, oh, actually, no, it's the... You know, Whatever it's it is. The, M- the M14E or something. But really... But it's an M16. It's an M16. Yeah, this is the 1911. It's still it's a 1911. It's still a 1911-45. Yeah. Now, see, this... Okay, earlier, I was somewhat criticizing, if not shitting, on Michael Bain's performance. But I do think that this um, scene, and when he was getting interviewed prior, and even Little Hamilton, who I don't think is very good in this movie, for the most part... When they actually have to go this over the top, I think they're really good at those points. Yeah. Because I do think that this is, remember watching this when it was on VHS when I was much younger. I mean, I got a certain degree of anxiety watching this. Watching him slowly lose his mind. Right. And just the, okay, there's a certain franticness, which I think is, it totally makes sense. And I think it does very quite, very well. And biting her fingernails. Yeah. No, and it, it yeah, and it almost looked like there's eye contact, mm-hmm. and, and there's an escalation to it. Right. Um, <clears throat> Hollywood Babylon, uh, Kevin Smith's podcast with uh, Ralph, Ralph Garman. Garman. Yeah. yeah, they they've got a, uh, a segment that they do every every Friday night, which is called uh, uh, Exquisite Acting. Okay. And you can nominate anybody but Nick Cage because it would be like the entire career of Nick Cage would be exquisite acting. It's, it's, you know, you've got good acting and then sometimes it goes all the way around to exquisite. And so every time I where see does, someone go over the top, where does Al Pacino fall in that? Uh, yeah. Like, okay. so all I mean, from, of from a Devil's... scent of a woman yeah. would, would, all of that would what be. What was first devil's advocate or scent of a woman? I think it was scent of a woman. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah, at that point he did like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to yeah. a heaven. <laughs> right. Yeah. Get killed by rocking your doggy. <laughs> 
Yeah, but at the same time, like we say that, but I, I wouldn't take anything out of heat. No, um, I wouldn't yeah. either. No, but it is, it is one of those things. I was watching The Godfather with my daughter um, maybe a month and a half so ago. So understated. And she, yeah. Had, yeah, exactly. He was so restrained. It's hard to believe it's the same dude. Yeah, well, Luke couldn't believe it. Like, we watched Heat first, and it was like a year past, and then we watched The Godfather, and Luke... Luke refused to believe that that was the same person. Yeah, because yeah. he looks different. He yes. acts different. He is different. We're not watching The Terminator at all. We should probably oh, yeah. focus we back should, on yeah, it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so here's... The, Although, the, yeah, I thought this gag was funny. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm about to say, this is, you know... He's walking out, and the Terminator walks in right by. behind him. And I didn't pick that up when I was a kid. I was just in, I was I into the film. Like I didn't, I didn't see either. the irony of that situation. But this is the beginning of, from our age group especially... What we remember about the Terminator is this whole sequence. Oh, this, yeah, yeah. And I'll be back is the first time I no, I know he had other, you know, quotes in the Conan movies like oh, the lamentations know, of the women, <laughs> <laughs> lamentations <laughs> of the women. But I mean, this was the first time anybody took him seriously. Yeah, at least you know from that perspective. To well, at least it, my perspective. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Conan was a cartoon. It was yeah. a it was a comic book. It was based on the comic book. It was it was, it was I think played it was like well, a comic book. It was played like a comic book. There was uh, I didn't know that it was a comic book at a time, but it's definitely either. a comic book movie. Oh yeah. And you weren't supposed to take it seriously, but you're supposed to be involved in the story. And Terminator is very much in the same vein, in my opinion. It's like Terminator is a comic book movie, even though there's not a comic book. Right, it's like a there, graphic novel. It could have been. It could have been a comic book. Right. All right. So this is the part from the BFI book that I remember reading, and I think some of your comments previously were, why do we find this whole sequence yeah. so compelling? It's unbelievable. But, it, I mean, the action is actually shockingly well done, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get the impact of the, you know, the physical impact of the bullets and the physicality, which isn't always, you know, presented like this. You see a recoil when the guns are shot that this to me, when you were speaking about Peckinpah earlier, kind of makes me think more that there's a certain realism at play here that is, makes it feel authentic, but not horrifying. Right. Because to a certain degree, everybody wants to be the Terminator when watching this movie and everybody's obviously very broad, but I've never wanted to shoot up a police station by any stretch of the imagination. I've never wanted to shoot up anything, but the impression that Schwarzenegger in this performance gives and the way it's framed is okay. He's just unstoppable. Yeah. Right. In a way that isn't cartoonish. He's just like, I mean, Halloween, I love. Yeah. Phenomenal movie. And Michael Myers in that movie was certainly unstoppable, but it wasn't the same thing here. Where this kind of embodied, it's like, yeah, fuck it, I can do anything. Yeah. Which I think, for me, but it's one of those that I have no idea why it's so addictive, right? Because everything about it is like not stuff that I support. No, no, certainly not. But it's not. one of those that I can watch this scene about 35 fucking times. It's, it's certainly rewatchable, and I hope they eventually, they cover it on the Rewatchables <laughs> podcast with Bill Simmons, but... The, you know, this is a mass murder. I mean, right. there's no difference between this and Elephant. Have you ever seen that? I've not just, seen that. They, it's a, about a school shooting. Isn't that guess? Is that guess Gus Van Zandt? Van Zandt? Yeah. Okay, I've not seen it. Uh, it. And I remember being a kid, like, oh, holy fuck, man! Like he's mowing down cops by the dozen. Right. It was, it was certainly shocking back then to, to youth and. Even my parents, you know, they didn't they didn't like the Terminator. They didn't want me watching the Terminator. And I understand why. Yeah. I mean, it's not. 
and this is despite his track record record to date this is when you're you're really like no this this is a bad guy yeah he Absolutely. is certainly yeah he is certainly not a hero and he's probably not even an anti-hero at this point no it's true villain and i guess maybe that's as so much as anything it really defines his power yeah I don't know, but I, I, I mean, like everyone else that I know, I like this is the best part of the movie. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And, and I'm a And huge, not for conventional reasons. And I'm a huge fan of the sex scene. But this is, <laughs> this is the best part of the movie. Man, those are some mom jeans she has, though. Yeah, well, they were all. Yeah, and that's. The evolution of the blue jean. You can see it. In, there could be a documentary. It, there, there should be. There might be. Netflix probably has it. Netflix has it. And Netflix has everything. Has the Terminator. Does the uh, flipped over taped magazines actually work, or doesn't that potentially cause your weapon to jam more often? It depends on what you're resting it on. Yeah, fair enough. Like I, I wouldn't do it in a, like, if you see, uh, I had four cousins that served mm-hmm. in Iraq and Afghanistan. Right, and I've just and, got one. Yeah. and You win. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, one of them was like an engineer, uh-huh. so the Army Corps of Engineers. So he didn't his his opinion almost didn't matter because he never shouldered his weapon. You know, yeah, designing shit. But the the other three and and two of them were combat soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, they they never touched anything that came out of Call of Duty. They they never used fast mags. They never used duct tape. Not and real. They never put their fucking blood type on duct tape on their shoe like you hear the special forces guys right. do you know they well see my one cousin who does have that experience my uncle and his son my cousin they were both my uncle was a green beret and then my cousin was a sea well no he was a ranger i apologize ranger and then a sniper yeah, but it's still calling the english scots and the scots english yeah but it's also one of those things where it's not like we talk about it no right no. so i just don't know and i don't know why that mattered to me at that particular moment but it was always one of those things that when i was a kid and played guns yeah you would be taping your mags because it is fucking badass yeah the, the whole the whole police station and, and lots of steady cam shots there's lots of those in this whole movie it just gives the whole film like a look of fluidity right and you had steady cam before this mm-hmm. i think they i think they perfected it for jedi for the slow motion shots through indoor, which indoor, which they played back at a faster rate, I think that was. Oh no, used you're, kind of... no, you're mistaken. I apologize. Um, I'm going to have to disagree. It was perfected with um, the club scene in Goodfellas. Oh, oh. I mean, that's that's <laughs> it's, it's eighty-eight. It's eighty-seven. Yeah, whenever it actually was eighty-seven, eighty-nine. Yeah. I mean, Jedi was a huge. Well, stunt, perfected. But... I mean, in a technical sense, like they walked on the floor of a forest and they played it back, and it looked like you were just. True, the floating. fluidity of it, the, the floatingness of it. Now, right. in terms of like use to create a scene, right. yeah, that restaurant scene in Goodfellas is it, that's, still shocking. <laughs> oh my god! And and uh, it, I'll get into arguments with people about the the crane shot in uh, the opening of uh, A Touch of Evil, that versus the Goodfellas or the player or the player. Yeah, the opening shot of the player. Right. Well, that that should be in the league with A Touch of Evil. Okay. They actually yeah, mentioned yeah, a touch kind of, of evil in... It was probably just aping it on purpose. Yeah. I mean, Altman, I think, was saying, okay, yeah, yeah, let's we'll, do that. We'll do that, yeah, yeah. of course. But, uh, yeah, that one in Goodfellas. And, and there's not any long Steadicam shots in the Terminator no, at all. No, But his use of the Steadicam... Is per- really well done. Particularly in the police station when yeah. it zooms in on him. Not zoom is the wrong word. It steadies tracks. in on him yeah. and then tracks back and 
and uh, he, he cuts left, cuts right, and it just it creates a certain amount of tension. Right, and it's unlike Goodfellas, which I love, and The Player, and Touch Evil. It's not showy. It's right. just effective right. and efficient. Well, and that's what, you know, the Terminator is full of those types of shots. And when I think of the Terminator, when I think of Alien, when I think of The Abyss, and even True Lies, and I, and I love those films. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fan of Titanic, not a fan of, uh, of Avatar, but not a fan I, or don't I love d- don't love okay yeah and, but I will recognize that those films even mm-hmm. the ones I don't like are, are such high quality oh yeah he's like, a he, he's definitely a a master craftsman he's an artisan yeah I mean something simple like this we're talking about close-ups just yeah he's just simple close-ups and and, and look what he what would another director do would they put it at a 45 degree angle to the to the wall like this with yeah you know probably not and then the medium he tracks back to a medium he's going to go back to you know no he is he i mean cameron is really effective in my opinion making pop entertainment and that's not a criticism no that's got a big place and yeah if you compare him to michael bay who i do conceptually like right because there are some michael bay films which i do enjoy it's not very many. It's two. But, <laughs> you know, there are... Um, who was it? McTiernan, right? Yeah. I mean, Cameron and McTiernan, in my mind, are not all that different in that the movies they made, for the most part, were not, quote, important, end of quote, but they were the best you could do at that. Yeah, right? I don't know. I just, when I think of McTiernan, if you want to go, like, head-to-head with Cameron, I can think of specific McTiernan shots that just... Blow me out of the fucking water. Right. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily comparing, but more just, you know, aligning them in the same, they're outstanding in what they do. Yes. And what they oh, do absolutely. is, the talent. The talent. They're, they're not trying to make anything that's Oscar bait, with the notable exception of Titanic, right? But it's as well shot and as well built as almost anything. You know, McTiernan will never be remembered, but... Is he That's less sad. skilled as a, no. of a filmmaker no. as almost anyone you can think of? No. Yeah, I mean, he's not less skilled, in my opinion, than Bergman. His movies aren't as good, necessarily, but, I mean, they're just as skilled. I mean, they're they're little puzzle boxes, and they're fit, they're tight. Yeah. yeah I mean, there are rarely things where you go, oh, that was kind of fucked up. <sighs> I'm going to get skewered on some Scandinavian message board, I'm sure, for that one. Probably it's not, inevitable. I, I'm sure it won't. He's still alive. Bergman? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. I believe you. He's 90-something. Okay. Okay. So here, here we flash forward, and this is the same set. This is the same, We're like, jumping 16 ahead, what, by 11, 3. 11 years to right now. Is it, what, 2029? Right, right yeah. Oh, so years. did they choose 2029 Math. because it was just 10 years ahead of 2019, and they didn't want to be like Blade Runner? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, if I was making a movie such as this, I don't know when I'd want to put that date because you're always wrong. Yeah. But but this is one thing I wondered about when I was watching this movie. Okay, so we're going to go way on a tangent because this is going to be unusual for this conversation. Skynet, well, not real, right? Right. But in this movie, if you were going to say Skynet is, who would you say Skynet is on this? Is this Google? 
Is this oh, Amazon? Facebook. This is now. This is Facebook. Okay. Yeah. So I, I thought about this, and I was thinking, okay, the Matrix in my mind is totally Apple, right? Oh, dy- oh, yes. In dystopian futures, okay, who wins? And I, I don't know if this is Facebook because it's not that interested in knowing you and controlling you as much as it is, you know. Killing you. Well, the Terminator uh, mimics human behavior and creates a way to so, hunt you down using so knowledge mind, about you. Right. So, that's more, in my mind, that's Google. Oh, man. I don't know. I did. I love Android phones. And that's what I got, but Google is creepy. Well, no, Google is creepy because it knows where you are at all times. I get that, but I, Facebook is, is the same. Like, right. Facebook is so bad. Google kicked it off last week. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not on Facebook, and people say they. they I, I get tweeted oh, stuff I, like, "Why, why I, don't you have a Facebook page?" And I, from what I can tell, I promise you, you're somehow on Facebook. I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm aware they're the same thing, right? So it's something tells me that the odds are pretty good that some app that I use is actually owned by yeah. Facebook, and I'm inadvertently on it. So you got the Matrix, you got Blade Runner, you got the Terminator, you got Logan's Run, you got these different dystopian mechanically influenced futures and actually i think facebook is actually probably more mad max just total chaos and, <laughs> you know it's like man that looks cool but when you look at it and go oh that's freaking terrible well yeah they they do seem to have a lack of organization over there yeah i just okay so to the polaroid so to the polaroid and, and before actually we, we we got here you know, there was an astounding use of back projection when he was outside mm-hmm. which is a very yeah. very cheap but effective. Uh, effective use. And he uses a get in, in T2 and even in later films. And it works out great. Does it ever look realistic, though? Never. Okay. N- never. But, I mean, it's a conceit, right? And we're always able to go, okay, it doesn't look right, but I'm willing to do it. Well, I remember, it. you're right. And I remember a particular theme, scene in uh, A Lethal Weapon 2 when Riggs is driving over the, uh, uh, I think it's the Long Beach Bridge. And he shoots the dogs. Fucktard. Yeah. Well, that's how bad the Terminator is. Yeah, very bad. You know, you don't shoot. Come on, man. They're German Shepherds, I'm, for God's sake. I'm not a pet lover, but I'm a respecter of animal rights. And I'm at your house, and you have three pets. I do. So three, yeah, my kids have three pets. But, okay, <laughs> well, I have a dog. So, I have a dog. Right. So this is something else I was wondering, right? Because all, all almost all, what, what, there are three flash forwards in this movie? Yeah. Okay. So at least two of them, you know, there is Reese on the edge of death. My God, that looks badass. That does look bad. And I remember that from the preview being one of those things. Oh, like, I got to go God. see it. Oh, man. How can, how can you not? Right. But, so do you think these are real memories of the future? Because they're always on the edge of fire, going to die. Doesn't show right. I, I just, I don't know if it matters. It well, doesn't. I mean, I, I chalk it up to, and, and this kind of touches on the Vietnam issue, which mm-hmm. we know this movie's not about. But, I mean, Reese has severe PTSD. Yeah, he has been at war his entire life. It's the only thing that he knows. He has he has these little memories of when he was a kid and how things kind of were, which you kind of see him using. Oh, shoes. Oh, shirts. Oh, I do. Right. But other than that, like he he's even like in this scene Wait. here where he's holding the gun and he's walking around. He just he just looks like a a, a severely psychologically scarred vet. Well, and and he absolutely is. I. And I that's what it, I took that from. Yeah, no, I think you're He's right. He's known no kindness except for what Sarah Connor has given him. Right, and is, you know, John Connor. 
Right. He's got a hero worship. Not unreasonable under the circumstances. Does this guy not look like some fucked up version of Bob Hoskins? He absolutely does. Does he not need to shave his shoulders? So there's this guy and, um, oh, what's his name from Cheers? Dan Hedaya. Oh, my God. From a body hair hall of fame, I don't know which one's getting in first. (laughs) Dan Hedaya. Yeah, have you seen Alien Resurrection? Yes. And it's like the tank top and the hair. (laughs) Mikasa is Sukasa. And it's like, I'm bald, and I'm very thankful I'm bald relative to having this pelt. Yeah, he's I Carlos' mean, first husband. These guys get spit on by PETA members. It's like, you're wearing fur. It's like, no, I'm just gross. Oh, okay. So they're at the Tiki Motel, so I'm, I'm guessing this is this is their paradise, right? Oh, I mean, they absolutely. do make love here, so it's got a, there's a Galaga machine in the background. There is a Galaga? Oh. Yeah, it was, th- it was through the, the love, window. Love yeah. Galaga. Oh, Adam Gallagher. And Herman Shepard. Well, you also like Tempest. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. My God. The red door. I see a red yeah. door and I want it to paint it black. Anytime I see a red door in a movie, <laughs> I think that because there's there's actually no red doors in real life. You can't really... I, I can't remember any now. Not even at hotels. No, especially not on the inside. So when you see a but red door didn't. in a film, it makes you think like, okay, this is a set. Right. But why would they paint it red? Yeah. It's very curious. And that may mean something. I don't know what. It just looks odd. It, it does. But in this particular shot with it behind him, it's that's his escape route and he should take it. He's drawing your eyes to it for a reason. And Cameron did that for a reason. He yeah, did. it's definitely on purpose. Yeah. No, what that purpose is. It's, yeah, it's escaping me at this moment. The, the gun is huge in her hand. She's so petite. She's oh, she so has, small. I, she has to be a teeny, teeny individual i don't i didn't look up her height or anything because I, I mean believe it or not like i'm, I'm not celebrity obsessed i don't want to no. know about no but i'd, I'd be stunned if lives. she's taller than five two right it's we had this conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, how like i'm into yep. the cranberries and i was sad that dolores reardon had passed away but i don't know anything about dolores reardon's life i don't want to know anything about it like i i appreciate her and her music and her talent and right i'm not interested in like i didn't even know the order of james cameron's wives well i remember that because not because i'm a creepy stalker but because i remember stupid things right well well if i knew it when i was younger mm-hmm. you, know, you know it's it's staying in there and yeah. oh learned, absolutely and i read a lot of shit in the 80s you know i know everything that there is to conceivably know about orson wells question yeah. all right so based on you know when he's impersonating sarah connor's mother yes and other parts throughout the movie he is able to you know mimic mm-hmm. perfectly a voice why did the program, you know, Skynet talk, tell him to speak with this particular accent? Yeah, the Austrian. I, I'm kind of surprised he wasn't dubbed the entire movie. <clears throat> no, I, I agree. That's always kind of, <clears throat> that's always given me pause for thought because they dubbed him in uh, Hercules. Hercules. Right. Yeah. They dubbed, uh, it was, and, you know, another one was uh, Flash Gordon. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, Sam Jones? Sam Jones was completely dubbed in the entire film. Okay, so why do I remember Sam Jones's name? You can't be more pedestrian. No. And unmemorable. And for some reason, I remember that. Is this a Ducati? Oh. It can't be. Probably. You think? You could have stolen a Ducati. 
could have. But Terminator can steal anything. Well, the Terminator certainly could, yes. It's not beyond his capabilities. He doesn't even have to stab me. He can just fucking take whatever he wants out of me, my pocket <laughs> or my bike or my, my life. I don't, you know. I like your Italian store, yeah. sports bike. Yeah, they I give want you it now. Bruno Mali shoes is perfectly fine with me. So this is a very familiar trope, right? Well, trope is probably the wrong word for it, but the prep. Yeah. We're getting everything ready for the great conflict to come. Yeah, but you know, there's no mon. This is a perfect time for a montage. And there's, there's no montage, montage in Terminator. There's no montage. And I can't remember one uh, in Titanic. I'm trying to remember one in. I, I uh, don't remember either. In Abyss, like I, yeah. it's, it's not montages tend to stand out. Like yeah. when I think of real genius, for example, with Val Kilmer. Yeah. There's two montages in there that are just like outstandingly familiar. But he doesn't do it in this. No. He chooses not to. And it could be because he doesn't need to. He doesn't feel like he needs to. The right. story doesn't need it. And, it. and it doesn't. You don't need a training sequence montage, although it would be pretty awesome. Terminator 2 doesn't have one either, although you could certainly argue that one should have been in there. And I'm glad they didn't put it there. This is the most messed up her hair gets in the whole film. And it's pretty brutal. I'm judging from a person who has no hair, so <laughs> I mean I know it's I would the, love to have this challenge, but I don't have it. But having said that, like I'm not I'm not saying I'm not gonna look at Linda Hamilton if she has bad hair. I will look at Linda Hamilton and I I, I remember watching Beauty of the Beast, mm -hmm. which was a huge show after this Ginormous. that she was on just because she was in it. I don't remember anything else about that show other than I'm going to watch it because she's in it. And I was probably the only kid who thought that or who you did might that, be. right? Because be. it is a chick show. But it, and it was a huge hit. Yes, it was definitely big, and it, I'm sure part of it was Ron Perlman, right? Oh yes. But it's probably as much as anything Linda Hamilton, which is another one, and they have similar uh, career tracks. Where... Oh, I don't. I mean, I think Ron Perlman really found his own, right? Yeah. And was yeah, the able hand to of God, which is on Amazon right. now. I mean, he was able to exploit it a lot more than Linda Hamilton yes. was, and that's probably because yeah. he was a dude, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there there's a lot of obviously misogyny and sexism in the industry that's gonna. They, they'll take a, they will make a star out of Dan Hedaya, right? But we all well, know for a fact star that star is kind of stretching. Star, <laughs> well, yes, but you look at BB Newworth, who was playing next to Dan Hedaya for just as many seasons on Cheers. And she's, in my opinion, much more talented. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, if you look at um, Sons of Anarchy, which I don't particularly enjoy, but uh, what's her name? Not a Sons of Anarchy fan. Yeah. Um, my wife is, because apparently the men get naked. Well, I, th I believe everybody gets naked, and then everybody dies. But the mother from Married with Children, whose name is totally escaping me. Kate Siegel? Kate Se Siegel? Siegel? Siegel, yeah. Yeah, she was, of course, she... She's beautiful, it. too. Yeah, but now that I think about it, she's also married to the screenwriter of that show or creator. So eh, that could mm. be why she was cast. Yeah. No, that's not fair. I think she was really good in that. And she is much older. Why? Diverting. We're going to cut all that. Sorry. No, that's all right. But all right. We're, I mean, we're no longer rooting for the bad guy, right? This like is, in, the, in yeah. the first half of the film, we were, and now we're not. I don't know if we were ever rooting for him, but we were definitely much more interested in his path. And right now, yeah, it kind of changes that. Okay, I'm less focused on his objectives than these two. Yes. And his, you know, he's got a scar on his chin. Kind of like reminds me of Indiana Jones. Right, it's very Harrison Fordish. Okay, I wasn't the only one. Who no, you that. weren't the only one. I thought of that too. I'm okay. sure that was done on purpose. 
and I'm I'm guessing that she start she starts this. Yeah. And I'm obviously she wants it. And that's not something that's familiar in film. No. Well, you know what yeah. I mean. No, no, I, I, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. But it is one of those things, just the way you put it, was no. very funny. Well, she yeah. wants it. Well, well, I mean, yeah. she wants to have this encounter. Right. And the film just isn't geared around what a woman wants. Or, or if they do, they want to turn her into a, a, a tramp or a vamp or some... Hmm. something femme fatale like but that she doesn't fit any of those molds well yeah that's i i think that's right um you know i remember a lot of movies where the female is the sexual aggressor for lack of a better term mm-hmm. but i i don't that's something i have to think about i don't really know i watched this by the way this just this one scene i don't know 40 50 times every time i watched the movie i'd rewind it and play it back i mean i had this fucking thing on the loop right, right. Am I the only one? No, you're not the only one. Okay. No, no, but I remember it. It's one of those it's, things, okay, there's like five things I remember from this movie when I was a kid. One of them was the... Uh, uh, Linda Hamilton naked. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I don't mean to sound like a complete dick when I say that, but obviously they, they did that for a reason. No, no, it, you're a dude, right? So it's one of those things where I, I, I suspect that there are many ladies of your approximate same age who would rewind to, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger running. Oh, my God, yes. Where he's, his schlong is flopping all yes. over the place. I mean, it's one of the, okay. So there's that scene in uh, uh, Batman v Superman where Clark Kent's, like, shirtless. Yeah, that you was. Know, Henry Cavill. Right. Or even in Man of Steel when he's running up from the, the beach side in the beginning. When I he's, do when he's hobo super. And my wife, like. I remember hearing women screaming. I'm like, oh, gasps. Really? It's like, look at this it's right here next That's, to you and it didn't seem to make that much of an impact and we we even talk about every time we watch thor i, I lean over to my 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 daughter and my son and i said this is your mom's favorite shot right here <laughs> chris him was worth flexing is that that looks like a ducati it might be oh yeah so other than like the, gotta, adult, he, the adult movies he, in the he background kicks, he kickstarts it which is interesting now you see also uh spartan burgers yeah i do yeah no comment no, I actually have no. Like, like he's a warrior, right? So I just found it. I found it weird that there's like Spartan Burger across the street, and like he's a beefcake, and he's like killing shit like he's a warrior. So I just, I'm not saying that's intentional. No, you know, I'm but just, okay. I'm I understand what you're saying. Reading that and applying it, and and it, running with it from there. Yeah. Yeah, might yeah. be. No back projection here. No. All right, so. The chase scene. This is, you know, this, okay. this is the same fucking tunnel that they use in millions of. Isn't this like a? Where is this? It's north of L.A. It's in it's in the hills. And Blade Runner used this tunnel, and, yeah, and I, they used it in sneakers. And it's very futuristic, yet you know, modern. It's 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 a perfect tunnel. Yeah, and 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 we can complain about well, you just used a, a tunnel to make things look futuristic, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, you know, the Russians did it too, like oh, yeah. Tarkovsky and. Uh, Eisenstein? No, Tarkovsky. He, he did that seventies Solaris. Solaris. Ooh, I've yet to see Solaris. The, the freeways. Right. Boom. But I mean, I, that that was Road Warrior, right it there. It was very Road Warrior. I mean, and one of the things I do remember about this was the sound design, because there is a certain echo with the pipe yes. bombs. Oh, you sped up the camera a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, no, the the sound design in, in the Terminator is awesome. The sound effects in the Terminator are great. The the sound editing is stellar. There's a couple of scenes that are overdubbed and they're they're done very well where you don't actually you can't don't even lose tell. a whole lot. 
Right. Like pretty much every time they're in a car, because when you're recording in a car, you're going to have an epic echo. And every time they're in a car, there's, they're dubbing it. It just doesn't, it doesn't sound like a dub. This, oh man, this is amazing. Is like his body just flying across. Just slides. Like yeah. No, it's a, it's a, once again, a really well designed and executed mm-hmm. action scene. It's, mm-hmm. it's not over the top, but it certainly feels real. Yeah. And people complain to me sometimes, like, well, he looks like a mannequin when he's sliding across the concrete like that. Like, well, he's a robot. I mean, yeah. it, it makes sense. It plays well. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not. Oh, and he gets hammered by the Mack truck here. It is tremendous. So I was watching uh, Iron Man 3 the other day, and that happens in Iron Man 3. And I, I could not help but draw, like, almost exactly the same way. Really? Okay. Yeah. There were a couple of things, like, in, also in Iron Man 3, uh, um, one of the extremist dudes, Guy Guy Pierce, he's walking out of the fire, and I swear to God, it looks exactly like the scene of Arnie walking out of the tanker fire. It wouldn't stun me. I mean, Shane Black is, in my opinion, actually a pretty good filmmaker. Well, and he was writing shit back then, yeah, too. He like he wrote he wrote uh, all the Lethal Weapons. Right in uh, Last Boy Scout. Yeah, and I don't remember if he wrote Predator, but he was no, in he was, he was in, in Predator. I think he was just in that. He probably I'm sure. And he's I wouldn't be a stunned. Bunch of shit. Yeah. He was like Carrie Fisher as far as like uh, screen uh, screenwrite doctoring. A lot of credits, yeah, or maybe no credit. Yeah. Well, like Mace Newfield's got that great story about having John Milius in the desk down the hall. And it was like every day problems would come up and every day he would call John Milius and he's like, I've got this problem on page 32 of this. Fix it. Figure it out. Right. And that's what John Milius did. Touched hundreds of scripts. No credits. No credits, yeah. Right. In- including the, the famous two speeches in the, the Hunt for Red, o- Red October. Didn't know that. Yeah. Again, something I learned 30 years ago that has no relevance to <laughs> the Terminator. But for the purposes of the conversation now, it's free-flowing and perfect. It looks like she had bowling shoes on. Hmm. Well, 80s styles were unusual. They were. There are no parachute pants. No. Now, this is really well done. Once again, it's yeah. attention to detail. Got the red eye, right? Yeah. Didn't need it in there, but it's... Oh, and you can see it outside the cockpit, too. Right. Like, far away. It's really, it's just kind of one of those attentions and detail that really helps. And he is hurt, too. Like, he looks hurt. Right. And And here we come up to another rear projection that I remember very vividly, even as a child. Yeah. Well, this is actually a model. I mean, this is like a one-tenth scale model that they they blew up. And it looks, I mean. It looks. It looks like gold, man. It looks right. And I saw this, if you get the DVD, there's a special feature where they, they take you through step-by-step step for about 50 minutes, this entire breakdown. And Oh, my God, man. But right there. Yeah. Very backward. But it yeah. still works. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know when I was a kid. I still, oh to God, this no. day, I see that. And I think it's, ah. it's real. <laughs> How is Reese still alive? You know, he's just as much of a survivor as the Terminator is. Yeah, he is, and it's one of those, do not underestimate the productive powers of a trash can. Right up there with a refrigerator. <laughs> Resourceful human being. There's a lot of that in now, this. Now, I would like to know, and, I, and you probably do, how they pull that off with a stuntman, because that certainly looks like a stuntman. 
and that's not oh, a Oh, yeah, that shot right there. Right, where... his face. Well, when he was walking out of and falling down, it's... Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that a, was a stunt, man. Maybe a second and a half, two seconds, but the flames are pretty intense looking. Mute movie magic. Okay, so you see the uh, face disintegrating. And nobody watching this movie believes it's over. No. But there is a reasonably well-played, you know, the way it's projected and presented is, okay, it seems like it very well could be over. <laughs> we'll fix that in post. Yeah, no, the, the way that the medium shot behind the back or over the shoulder... Right. It looks like the credits are about it, to roll. It seems like it could be. Nobody believes it, but you still kind of believe it. But you're not caught into the like, you know, the end of the Return of the King where there's like three endings. Jesus right. Christ, when is this? You're not you're not that far. No. Back projection again here. Yep. Because this I mean, this is like Harry Housen type mm -hmm. of quality stop motion animation. Yeah, what I mean, this is what, Stan Winston? Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. But it is, yeah, very oh much. Oh, my God, man. Jason and the, Ar Jason and the Argonauts, for yes. sure. Well, I mean, my favorite Harryhausen is um, The Clash of the Titans. That's your favorite? Yeah. yeah okay. the, the Owl. and I was not an Argonauts fan. Oh, I, I mean, of course, I'll be honest. When I watched that, I probably was 10. Yeah. Not that, that's not how old I am, but when I saw it on TV. <laughs> that's how you are, yeah. older you are on the inside. Yeah. Right? We're still all kids on the inside. That's why we like the Terminator still. True. So there's an entire subplot that was cut out that was really quite unbelievable. Sarah tracked down uh, Cyberdyne while they were still in the motel and tried to get Reese to help her blow it up before they could develop the technology that became Skynet. Okay. Reese was against the idea because his mission was to protect her and not expose Sarah to further danger. Sarah thought it would be the best way to defend herself. They ended up exactly where this movie ends up, so they decided to just shorten the film by cutting that out. And I think that was a wise choice because that, because... Yeah, you don't I, need any extra time in this movie. No, no, I think it's just fine. And, and that's also, that that's like the second half of Terminator 2. Right, well, that is obviously incorporated into it, for sure. And here's the machines protecting the humans from the machines. So, yeah, it, you know, this, to bring it to another moment in time, this came out the same weekend as Dune. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. And so, for four and a half million dollars, Cameron made a much more 40 million. Yeah. 40 million while it was still in theaters. Right. And I don't even know what it's made since then, but in rentals alone, back when we all went to Blockbuster. Oh, yeah, it's got to be four times that easy. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, Dune opened the same weekend, lost $50 million. The entire budget for the Terminator was less than the special effects budget for Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, it makes sense, but... No words. No. No, so there's no there's no hero in the Terminator, is there? Well, is, I mean, is Sarah the hero? I don't know if she's the hero so much as the, you know, the protagonist, right? I mean, there is no technical quote hero. 
where it's like, okay, I expect this person to succeed. It's not that kind of movie. It's not, it's not that kind of movie, which is probably why it holds up so well. You know, they're all heroes in their own regard. But... Sorry, I'm just focused on... This oh, part, I think, I think it's visually very... It's captivating. Very, yeah, it's visually arresting, and, the eyes. And you know that the camera angles that he's... Not the camera angles, but he's the positioning the camera... It's like 90 degree, 90 degree, and then halfway through the factory, he gets, starts going to 45, 45, mm-hmm. and then back to 90, and it's... And you have a tendency to get confused real quick on on the chain of events and the direction of your eye. Right. And the the way things flow in 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 space in your mind. Right? That's why like Kubrick's fucking with you in uh, The Shining, for example, is to, to deliberately destroy that idea of what the hotel is in your mind. Right. And and Cameron manages to pull that off. You you're ne- you never get that feeling in the factory. When you and you can oh, yeah. very easily get lost and you're like, What where where are they going? What, no, what's going I mean on? yeah, that's one of those things that Cameron does very well. You always know what's going on, where people are, the geography is really easy to correlate in your brain. And he hits him with a pipe. He's got the blood on the right side of his face, almost like where those tire tracks were on Bill Paxton's face. <laughs> I just noticed that. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Uh, I mean, you know, again, means nothing. No, but it's interesting. And that one scene of him just cranking the pipe around uh, in the BFI, rather that scene was so complicated. <laughs> uh, they planned forever to execute that shot, and then push came to shove, and James Cameron could not shoot that himself, so he had to delegate that delegate to second that unit. Right. So that shows you just how good second unit was on oh, this yeah. movie, right? It's it blends it. In some movies it shows up badly. Yeah, some it's very obvious. But then you got movies like. Um, you know, the Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. you know, George Lucas shot second unit on Temple of Doom, and that looks flawless. Right. I, I sometimes, I think Temple of Doom is George Lucas's best movie. <laughs> In some yeah. regards, you might be right. And I'm a big fan of THX 1138. I admire it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those I don't have a whole lot of interest in revisiting, right? It's a right. well-crafted film. Um, especially for what it is, for the budget and for the objective. So there's also a great scene that was cut out that showed factory workers picking up the chip from a skull and examining it. And then it cut to Sarah being put into an ambulance and the camera pulls out to show that they were at a Cyberdyne factory the entire time. I'm glad they didn't put it in there. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. This actually is what ends up happening based on Terminator 2, but I didn't need to see it when I was watching this. It's a brilliant ending, but it, it may have been too dark for the film. Yeah. But it does beg the question, is this the Cyberdyne factory? But we can we can say that when we watch it after we watch T2. Right. Like, oh, this is probably the Cyberdyne. It's more fun that way than to have it spelled out for yeah, us. Yeah, and also it's one of those where, you know, the paradox with the Polaroid really transmits yeah. that very effectively, where you kind of build this circle, which is impossible, but plausible. Is this a George Romero moment? Uh, undoubtedly, they're all George Romero moments when you get around to it. You know, we, we're all going to be zombies. No, I. It's just that creeping death, right? God, there was something else I completely forgot to bring up. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, but this is, again, one of those that, based on what you're saying, and which is right, the budget, 
you know, it certainly didn't match the ambition from a number standpoint, but they certainly met the challenge. And it looks as real as anything from the t day and age, and to a lot of degree holds up today. When when she presses the button and she says, you're terminated, fucker, mm -hmm. like, I remember being a kid, and, and this is back when, I know that we grew up in the 80s and we were on the cusp of the F word, like being just being part of our lexicon. Right. But it was it before be Clerks and it was before Pulp Fiction, which really put the F word like, this is when and, you really started dropping it. And Scarface, yes, before it was part of punctuation. Right. Well, even in Scarface, I don't remember the F word just being just every other word. Oh, really? Like Goodfellas. And Goodfellas, it's... I mean, that's what I remember with Scarface. Yeah. was actually one of the most notorious in that regard. So when it comes to a... But it was still, yeah. It, when it, it comes it, to a woman saying it, though. Right. It was a shocking moment. Right. Like a woman said the F word. Like, I I couldn't get around that. And and the, the fact that she says fucker instead of fuck. Right. It's directed. Whereas most of the time it's it's descriptive. True. And hydraulic presses. They work wonders. Yeah. There's something going on with the cage. I've thought about it. I, I, I have absolutely no idea why that exists. Again. You can still get your arm in there under the press if, you know. So it's not for protection. So I'm not sure why it's there. But there's the arm that makes a tremendous reappearance in T2. Yes. And, th and that was a moment in T2 where people were just, that's that's the arm. They got it out of the factory, man. <laughs> it's full circle. It's like the photograph. And she just looks, I mean, talk about great acting. She looks beat to hell. Yeah. She looks like she just survived some great traumatic event. Not like she just arrived there 15 minutes before they started shooting. Very true. Which you kind of have to keep that in mind. Which they do that, and then again, it's the attention to detail, right? Mm -hmm. And that shot looked like everything I'd ever seen in, like, St. Elsewhere or General Hospital. So this is Joshua Tree National Park. Mm -hmm. Which is a stand-in for Mexico. <laughs> you know, if you're just some regular old gringo from Michigan, it... Certainly seems authentic enough. So she's got a dog, I assume, that's to sniff other Terminators. Yes. Yeah, and she's got this three fifty seven, four and a quarter inch Smith. Hanging out right by the, the abdomen. It seems to make no sense, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, by her pregnant belly. Yeah, it's yeah of all the places. Pemex. Pemex. <laughs> Boo. We'll just skip that commentary. Could be Pedavesa. Could be Pedavesa. Oh, the one thing that I wanted to bring up that I, I, I didn't get a chance to is there's there's that amazing scene that was cut out of T2, and they put it back in for the special edition. And it's it's that one where um, Arnie's sitting in a chair, and they're taking the chip out of his head, but it's actually Arnie's stunt double. He's actually sitting across from the stunt double, okay. and then Linda Hamilton's taking the chip out of his head, and there's, then there's Linda Hamilton across, and it looks like they're in front of a mirror, but there's no fucking mirror. Okay. It's actually Linda Hamilton has a twin sister, and so James Cameron got her to play Sarah Connor. And so they're both in the scene with a, a stunt double and really? uh, sitting across from Arnie. 
Huh. The the two Linda, I can't remember what his sister's name is, and they have to mimic each other's actions, pulling the chip out and putting it onto the table. It's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. I swear to God, they did it in front of a mirror. <laughs> and apparently, they they got down to the the set and uh, and Cameron couldn't uh, couldn't shoot it in a mirror. Like he couldn't place the camera where it couldn't be seen. Like things get sure. funny when you put yeah. mirrors in front of cameras. And so he asked he asked Linda Hamilton's twin sister to show up and. And, and for them to copy each other's movements in order to get that shot. Really? No, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, you should go back if you ever get a chance. Yeah, no. I, I didn't want to spend I too vaguely, much time. Yeah, I vaguely remember that scene, but I'll have to go back and watch And uh, I don't doubt that. I swear to God, so it was like, a mirror. I swear to God. Yeah, I'm just, sure, yeah. no mirror in that shot. And no, no visual effects. No. No, it's hmm. all practical. Hmm. Interesting. So the photograph means what? I don't know if the photograph necessarily means it's just anything. a loop. Yeah, it's just a loop. It is one of those satisfying moments that you know really kind of demonstrates why Reese would do all of this. Right. It, it becomes the impetus right. for his it's, volunteering. It's, right. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, of course he's gonna want to do it to save the known universe and etc. But is why would he have that picture? And it just it just fixes. I don't know if it fixes anything, but it certainly it's very satisfying. Is Skynet the sister of Hal? Cousin. That's good enough. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I've always loved this movie. I just never knew why, and I thought that we would explore that. Mm-hmm. No, I've always enjoyed it as well. I'm. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those that there's a reason why a lot of these movies get turned into shared universes, right? Um, I remember there was a Terminator versus Batman comic. There was a Terminator versus Robocop versus Aliens and all that. And it's, it, yeah, to a certain degree, it's just capitalizing on pop culture and, you know, dork's ability to spend money on almost anything you present them. But at the same time, it's, there is a logical, you know, interface between these different universes that kind of makes it seem the same. So could it be related to how, or like I said earlier, when you have these various alternate futures where you've got, yeah, you've got how, which would be in the past, I guess, to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. Scratch that. I don't know. Robocop and Terminator is what I was referencing, but then you got the matrix and is that just another offshoot of that? And you could, imagine a scenario that people would want to imagine that to follow through. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Do you have one? Oh, I, I, I probably don't have one, right? I mean, there's, there's too many, there's, there's, too, there's much. too many, right? It's just what day of the week is it? And I'll give you something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I feel like it at that moment. Um, I, I don't know. I I really don't know. I mean, if you'd ask me what's your favorite gangster movie, I'd probably be able to tell you more than my favorite movie overall. But I'm kind of like the older I get. So you can get into genres, but. Yeah, it's it's hard to say overall number one of all time. You got to tighten it down. Right. I mean, to work for me, what's yours? Empire. That's that's your favorite movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, any day of the week, any time of day. That's your ultimate rewatch. Empire Strikes Back. That's my ultimate rewatch. Which, which makes sense. I mean, there's a little, yeah. I mean, there's things like that which I would never get tired of, right? Right. I mean, Goodfellas is a good one. I referenced it That's earlier. That's a good like, one. I'll, I'll, okay, it's on. I'll watch it right now. 
Um, I don't know if it's my favorite movie, but maybe it is. If that's the parameters, if you're willing to watch it anytime it's on, maybe that is your favorite movie. Um, I don't know. I try not to think about it too much because you just go down this endless loop where you don't yeah. really get productive. Yeah. We also try not to be, well, I, I try not to be too judgmental. I don't want to be like Eddie Vedder, who Pearl Jam got to that point where, like, how can you judge our music? Because our music is art, and we're right. artists, and we're creating. And how dare you, like, say our music is bad or our music is good? It's just music. And I'm just kind of, you know, shut the fuck up. Play a good rock and, song and call it you good. Know, everybody knows that Citizen Kane is better than a lady from Shanghai. That's, that's just a fact. All right. Yeah, that's it. It's accepted right? fact. You can like one more than the other. Right. But we, we know that. There's a value. There's an intrinsic value to that, right? Or, or else everybody would be watching Liquid Sky, <laughs> and you and I are the only ones laughing about that. <laughs> no, there's and out of everyone, and this is a film commentary podcast. Like there are hundreds or thousands of film podcasts. Right. There are very few film commentary podcasts. I'm just one of a few dozen. Mm-hmm. My listenership out of that pie is extremely small. And still, there will be a tiny minority of the people who listen to this podcast who know what the fuck Liquid Sky is. Right. No, I'm not saying, you know, because a movie is small and you don't see it, that it has no value. Mm-hmm. It's not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is... It's pretty obscure. It's obscure for a reason. Oh, yeah. It is not a good movie. Doesn't mean it's not entertaining and you can't enjoy it. It's right. not a good movie. Right. Right. So, Playing Nine from Outer Space. Not a good movie. Yeah. No, that's actually, frankly, a terrible movie. That's unwatchable. Terminator is a great movie. Terminator is a phenomenal flick. Absolutely. And, and here, Voodoo's asking us, "How did you like the movie? I mean, is this not five stars?" Uh, for me, it'd be four, four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah. Maybe four. That's four. Yeah, I think four. What's T two? T two for me would be four and a half. Right? Oh, you, you like T two better? I, I I I do. I mean, last. It's been quite a few years since I watched T2. I do like it better, I think. Um, it's more of a fleshed-out universe. I mean, the extra money for the effects and the time, yes. I think, does actually assist the story, right? Yes. Sometimes you don't need it. It's just bloat. But I think for that particular movie, it actually helps drama- tremendously. I think that, um, yeah, overall, I find it a more satisfying movie, I think. Especially the, and this is going to be one of those things where very few people agree, I think the extended version is my preferred version. No, I don't think I've seen the extended version. Oh yeah, and it, it's it's one of those that. Don't well, that was it. the one with the scene that was cut into it. Like right. so, I did. I have seen it. Yeah, so it's yeah they had the scene cut into the, it. Yeah, they the double the, twin scene. And they had the uh, the the happy ending to a certain degree. Right, you know, right, right. If I remember right, but it's been so freaking long. Right, so I need to take a watch it again. But my memory of it is more four and a half. If I cover it on the podcast, you want to come back? If people will have me. If you'll have me. <laughs> well, should we wrap it up for right now? Yeah, we can. I I don't want it to end. Oh, no, you can always put it on pause and we can rewind five seconds because now that we're not locked up against the movie, we, you can rewind it pretty you know, what we should do is we should just chat and just... wander on and go tangential and then <laughs> I should put it out as a special, it's a special, special episode. Just random ramblings. Um... Yeah, so let me, let me wrap it up. And unless you yep. have any final thoughts about it. I do not. Today? No thoughts. Okay. Mm. Great having you. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for coming. We are doing a handshake now that nobody can see. Thanks for hanging out with Dave Anderson and I while we watched The Terminator. 
I hope you found this interesting whether you watched the commentary on in your home or just listened in your car. The Super 70 Podcast is brought to you by Dylan Davis. That's me. You can find me, my podcast, my books, and my blog at www.thatdylandavis.com. The Super 70 Podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. All music on this podcast was written and recorded by Rosalind McPhail. You can reach her on soundcloud.com. If you're offended by the interpretation of this film, please let me know by sending me an email at thatdylandavis at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please express this on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud by leaving a rating and a review. You can also find me on Twitter, at thatdylandavis, and find my books on amazon.com. This is Dylan Davis, and we'll meet next time at Jack Rabbit Slims. <laughs>